Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Hannah Strong. I'm Fatima Sharif. And I'm Adam Woodward. On the show this week, the subject of the latest issue, a stunt woman comes of age in polite society, growing up proves no easier in love according to Dalva, and in film club, Mira Nair holds a monsoon wedding. That's all coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello, everyone. Yes, do not adjust your podcasts. I am not Leila Latif. I'm Hannah Strong. I'm stepping in for Leila this week while she's away. And we are here to discuss, I think, three movies that challenge in different ways, I think. Certainly, I have found them quite uh, nice discoveries this year. I think even Monsoon Wedding, which is a film that I'd heard of many, many moons ago, a favourite of my mum, actually, but was glad to kind of have a chance to get it on the podcast in a very appropriate week. But first of all, I'd like to introduce listeners to one uh, new guest, a newcomer to the podcast, but a friend of Little White Lies for quite some time, who also wrote the lead review in our current issue, which is all about polite society, one of the films we'll be talking about today. Uh, Fatima Sharif, do you want to kind of tell us who you are, what you do, and your kind of connection to Little White Lies? Hi, I wear many hats, or in this case, hijabs. And I, among other things, I write about science, I entertain old people, and all sorts of things. And then I write about film. And I've written many a review and done at least one interview for Little White Lies. And yeah, very excited to be on for this particular film and issue and podcast because it's great. <laughs> An expert quizzer as well. That's the one oh, thing. Oh, yeah, that too. That yeah, we... yeah, yeah. Quizzer job. <laughs> I forgot that one. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> well, we're very excited to have you on at long last. You've written for us for quite a while now. So it's lovely to have your voice part of the Lower Lives family now. And we have an old hand as well. Uh, Adam Woodward, welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Oh, right. You all know about me. How are you, Adam? You doing all right? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm good. I'm very, I'm very eager to kind of get stuck into the first film we're talking about because, well, I don't know if listeners know this, but I, I sort of have much more of a, a backseat role at Little White Lies now. So while uh, while you lot were all kind of beavering away, I should say on the on the, on this issue, I was I was sort of like just kind of taking a peek, snatching a peek here and there, and, and seeing it come together, which was quite a nice experience. And finally got to see the film after the issue had had, had even gone to print. So yeah, really really keen to uh, to to hear your thoughts on it as well 
Yeah, you're getting to see it from the other side a little bit now. After all this time, you're seeing the kind I know, of... yeah. <laughs> On that note, speaking of the new issue, I want to just give a quick final push to this current issue that we're on now, which is the Polite Society issue. You've heard about it probably over the last couple of weeks on the podcast, but it's still on sale, on shelves, all good retailers. You can buy it online and it's a celebration of Nida Menzor's beautiful, bold, hilarious coming of age film and we're going to be talking about it a little bit more in just a second but I wanted to first get your guys kind of thoughts on stunt work it feels like something that has kind of been a little bit underappreciated maybe relegated to the sidelines a little bit and polite society maybe maybe along with John Wick 4 it feels like we're having a kind of real coming to the forefront again people are starting to say oh hang on we really need to get this stunt category pushed through at the Oscars so we can recognize this yeah for sure. With a hypothetical stunt category, would it go to like the whole team of people behind the film or would it go to like a specific person? Because obviously when I think of stunts, I think of all those articles about like, oh, Tom Cruise and Keanu Reeves are like over 50 and still doing all their own stunts. And even in the film we're going to talk about, I think they did a lot of their own stunts as well. So yeah, I think it'd be nice to see the behind the scenes. Don't don't you think Keanu and, and Tom et al should be disqualified? Because like, you know they they obviously do do their own stunts to a degree but there's there's teams of of like real stunt people you know testing all that engineering all of these stunts for them and essentially making it like safe for them to do so i, I yeah I, I wonder whether that's kind of a you know i'd love i'd love to know actually more about like the the stunt people that do all the kind of hard yards for tom cruise and and keanu and those people but yeah i, th- I think the it's kind of even even more of a niche category right we're getting into today because it's specifically about uh, women stunt people it is, yeah. And I think that that particularly, you know, in the uh, olden days and not even the olden days, the recent days, I think it was fairly common for men to still be stunt doubling for female performers and kind of just they just put a wig on them and be like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same. It looks it looks good. So it looks exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's no difference. There's no difference at all. And it's great that I think polite society is really like the first film we've had in quite a while. Maybe putting all the kind of Marvel flicks aside, it's the first one that kind of really feels like it's shone the spotlight on the women that are trying to break through in this very heavily male-dominated industry. To to bring up a, a man, but we mentioned John Wick 4, but isn't the director Chad Stahelski? He was the stuntman for the Matrix films, wasn't he, before he went into That's direction? Right, yeah. So I think there's definitely, like, you know, seeing the work that he's done as a huge... I, I think that made me, like, realise how expert these guys are and what if they turn their hand to creativity clearly they have a lot of a lot to offer and i think the the things i often hear about john work films is how creatively they're plotted and like the way the creativity of the stunts and the way they pay homage to the history of stunts that came before them so i think definitely oscars to raise awareness about those incredible people would be great (laughs) yeah i think yeah it's high time and yeah yeah chad stusk is a really good example because he yeah there's some lovely photos of him on the set of the matrix with keanu back when they were both much younger but still looking as good now as they did back then it's crazy i don't kind of know kind of what like portrait in the attic those two have going but yeah no i think that it's true and it also is just this idea of someone with a different perspective on storytelling being able to kind of take the reins a little bit i guess so those films work so well because the action is such a kind of integral part of the storytelling and i think in polite society it's a similar thing certainly in the interview we have with nida Mansour in the current issue she talks about the way that 
sisters fight and wanting to kind of accurately show that and not have these two polished, perfectly kung fu kicking actors she wanted it to be a kind of little bit messy and a little bit more realistic so i think it's uh, it's nice to see that kind of storytelling coming through and certainly as well we've got a lovely interview with shana west who is a stunt performer who i think is a sort of viral tiktok sensation i don't have tiktok i'm too old but um this is what i hear and she's really been managing to break through and is someone i'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot about so lots of good stuff in the issue but yeah i think On this note, we can dive into the first film, which is Polite Society. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member who receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. Rhea Khan practices martial arts in order to become a stunt woman, but when her sister drops out of art school and gets engaged, Rhea decides she and her friends must pull off a wedding heist to save her. So, Fatima, I know you were very excited about this because I remember when the film was announced at Sundance, I remember seeing you tweet that you were so excited to see it and were very uh, interested to see kind of what Nina Manzor had done. I'm going to start by asking you, were you familiar with We Are Lady Parts? Had you seen her television series before this film? Yeah, so I can't remember if it was... I think I watched it sometime this year and I can't remember if it was before this film was announced or around the time it was announced. But like, it was just one of those things where obviously I'd heard great things when it came out and just sort of forgot about it. Because, you know, when you spend so much time scrolling on sort of Netflix and Amazon, you can forget about the, you know, terrestrial shows that are obviously producing excellent stuff. So I just hadn't, you know, scrolled through all four, four OD, four, whatever it's called now. And yeah, so then I finally like, I, I think I was on there for Taskmaster or something. And then I was like, wait, this show that I haven't seen yet that actually has loads of great hijabi characters. So I, I did binged it on a day off and hilarious. And I think like uh, Polite Society, quite stylized. There's a lot of like sort of genre comedy in there. Like there's a sort of black and white sequence where she imagines herself in like a black and white movie with a man proposing to her and stuff like that. And like in a game show and stuff like that. So I think that the comedy is quite similar in that she does play very much on um, on those like other other genres rather than just sticking to like you know just a, a rigid here's what's happening format yeah incredible love that show love that show polite society then we you were our first port of call for reviewing it because we knew how excited you were what did you make of this one just so much fun just like heaps of fun from start to finish just like always something funny or something weird or just like I, I called it unashamedly cringe because I think because it's so, you know, it's it's in the orbit of this just very exuberant, obnoxious teenage girl that you get very much pulled into her idea of the world and the like the villains and the and the arcs of, of the people around her that I think it just it's very much goes into like the magnetism of that, like sort of that rage that she's channeling, the passion that she's channeling. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah, just delightful. 
And I, yeah, I mean, I think that talking of kind of influences and stylization, I think something like Scott Pilgrim feels like a very obvious reference. I know that Nita has said she's a big fan of Edgar Wright and it has that kind of, you're right, the cringe factor. It's a lovely way of putting it, but in a kind of very sincere way, which is something that I really enjoyed as well. It's it's such an earnest film and I maybe think we don't get enough of that kind of in coming of age films. Everyone wants to be kind of like cooler than cool, but this is a very, I found very true to kind of teenagers who uh, are kind of awkward, kind of misfits, but have these sort of big dreams. Adam, I know you, again, were very uh, excited to finally get to watch this one. What did you make of it when you got to see it? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting you mentioned Edgar Wright because I watching it and I had, I must say, I was beaming from ear to ear for like the entire runtime. But watching it, I did instantly think of Edgar Wright and then kind of thought about the fact that Edgar Wright you know, borrowed a lot of his style from someone like Quentin Tarantino. And I don't know whether Niedermanns was doing this kind of consciously or not, but it felt to me like a film which is sort of reclaiming a lot of the tropes and a lot of the kind of um, genre beats that Tarantino basically like stole from Asian cinema, specifically East Asian cinema. But there's definitely something there with, with you know, obviously it's, it's a story that's kind of rooted in like British Asian identity and community as much as anything. But I, I definitely felt like from a kind of filmmaking stylistic point of view, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting to, to to sort of see where she's borrowing from and maybe, as I say, kind of repurposing or reclaiming certain things as well. But actually, I'd, I'd say another film or British filmmaker who I kind of thought of in relation to this film was actually Joe Cornish and like Attack the Block. I know when we were talking about what film to put on the cover for this this issue that was that was a film we talked about because it, uh, whenever that was like 10 or 10 or more years ago now but that was kind of same time frame of release and feels like a sort of I, I, I don't want this to sound like a negative thing but like a small British indie film which just kind of like punches way above its weight has like bags of energy and charm and humor and also I'd say more so than Edgar Wright's films really connects on like an emotional level as well and and also with Attack the Block it just has this amazing like understanding of like British humor and slang and like the way that friends especially of a certain age speak to each other I don't know you can probably both of you are younger than me so you could maybe talk a bit more about this but that that was something that I thought was just yeah really refreshing and 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 a huge part of the enjoyment of the film yeah and I am a big big fan of Joe Cornish his recent Netflix series Lockwood and Co I think it's it's brilliant it's it's in like Netflix limbo where it may or may not get renewed I hope yes but you know I wouldn't be surprised if no because it's very specific but again he has this way of getting like really emotional really likable performances out of his characters even if they're doing sort of slightly wacky unusual you know unusual things unusual plots like that you wouldn't relate to that you can just like suddenly see yourself in that situation right like yeah it's great yeah I think that even though this is so kind of outlandish in concept, obviously a lot of us have been there as teenagers having these really, I mean, we all went into film criticism, which I think if you told teenage me, I would eventually get to do that. It's, you know, it it does sound kind of silly, but the love and care that Nida has for her characters, both in this and in We Are Lady Parts, really shines through. And of course, I mean, speaking of Joe Cornish, Attack the Block really launched the career of John Boyega. And, you know, he's gone on to kind of superstardom ever since. And it was very clear watching Attack the Block that he had whatever it is, he had it. And I felt that way this way watching uh, Priya Kansara in Polite Society as well. Uh, Fatima, what did you make of her performance? Oh, it was so great. I just think that she really nails that teenage stubbornness and just like sheer 
bullheadedness to just run into or run into like every situation with perfect confidence that she's doing the right thing and she's in the right place and she's doing what she's meant to do. And I think that's, she could easily be annoying. And I think she definitely has, you know, she's she's a very flawed character and she definitely has a lot of obnoxious traits. So I think if I met her, I'd like definitely like get her to tone down a bit. But like in the movie, you're just like, she's driving that story. She's taking everyone along with her. Um, and it's just really charismatic to watch. Mm. I was going to say she has... A can-do attitude, but it's more like a fuck-you attitude, isn't it? She's just kind of relentlessly... Well, you know, the film is on one level a little bit corny in, in its in its ideas of kind of following your dreams and all this stuff. But I think you mentioned Hannah, like the earnestness with which they tell the story. And so much of that comes through in the performances and just, yeah, the dynamic between Priya's character and her and her two friends as well. And even a, a kind of fourth character who, who sort of is brought into the fold later on. I think that, yeah, that dynamic is just, is such a winning one. And and I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's more kind of why I, I thought of Attack the Block, especially. Yeah, I think that the group dynamics are great in this one. And, and just like because the story is so specific in sort of British Asian society, it's just really fun to see like that level of stylized Edgar Wright-esque, you know, like sort of levelling up new combat mode type, you know, new opposition, like final boss type staging around like the archetypes of sort of Indian cinema, like the evil mother-in-law is just the the cornerstone of like Pakistani dramas, Indian dramas, like she is that. So like to see that villain not just like in the in the in that sort of uh, Urdu channel, but like to see to see her be unleashed upon a sort of British action comedy is incredible, I think. Yeah, is it is it Nimra Buka Boka who plays the, the stepmother? Yeah. And also she plays a very similar role in Miss Marvel as well. Yeah, so I think she just she she's so good. I was going to say, yeah, I think she's having a bit of a moment, which is great as well. You know, it's, it's it's great for a kind of older actress to be getting kind of this like global recognition for doing something very, very entertaining to watch. And, you know, we watch a lot of films at Little White Lies, as one would imagine, but it's really lovely to see a kind of a cast full of unknowns breakthrough like this. And I am super excited to see what Priya does next and what Rita Aria does next, who I believe was in We Are Lady Parts in a kind of smaller role. She plays uh, Rhea's sister in uh, Polite Society and they have a lovely relationship as well. As someone with a younger sister, I found it very kind of fun to see a kind of sibling relationship depicted as fraught as it is normally. Very loving, but very kind of messy and a constant battle between hyping each other up and It's like, like the We Are Lady Parts song, you know? I'm gonna kill my sister. <laughs> 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 like I was just thinking about that, you know, when they were fighting, I was like, I'm gonna kill my sister. <laughs> Die, die, die. <laughs> and like Rita was familiar to me in that sort of action heroine role because she was also in like maybe not the first season but definitely the second season of Umbrella Academy so she's very much already been doing these kind of quirky cool character fight scenes to like funky music already so I think like she definitely is having a lot of fun in the roles that she's playing at the moment. Well, I think this is a glowing endorsement of Polite Society from both of you, but we are going to put some scores on it. So Fatima, if I can come to you first for your anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect scores for Polite Society. I think, I mean, I think this is the same as my review. Maybe it's changed, but it was definitely a five going in because I was like, incredible, amazing, what a concept. And I think fours overall, I think the weak point for me, I think was her friends. I think they looked too much like, older actresses playing younger like with Priya it worked but with the others I didn't 
quite click with them in the same way. Even though they were clearly having a blast and having so much fun, I just feel like they didn't quite fit into the landscape for me. So that's why it's a two fours thereafter. But otherwise, incredible. I also kind of wanted a Muslim, like a, a hijabi minor character. Um, but you know, of all, of all the of all the sort of filmmakers and showrunners, I think Nida Mansour gets a pass considering that she made a whole other TV show about that. So I can I can let that slide. <laughs> And I was reading that she was asked to make this film about a white family in the in development, which is just such a bizarre demand to have of of a story like this, and certainly of a, a, a filmmaker and a storyteller like Nida Manzor to say, "Oh, could you maybe try making it a white family?" It's just we've, like we've what, had enough of those. We've had so many of them. We've had so many of them, and I think I can't imagine it. You know, it's such a story that is very much about you know a culture clash between the younger generation and the older generation. And and familial expectations. Yeah, it's just a very strange little tidbit that came out in one of the interviews that Nida's been doing. Uh, Adam, I'll come to you for your scores as well. Yeah, uh, fours across the board, I think. I mean, obviously, was was um, hyped by your good self and, and David beforehand and definitely matched my expectations. Just, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an absolute blast, this film, I think. And um, I do, I do so, well, this may be a bit of an idle thought, but I, I wonder, you know, with everything everywhere all at once winning the Oscar, you know, could a film like this end up picking something up in awards season? I think there's a, there's a lot of similarities. Maybe they're too similar, I don't know, but anyway you heard it here first <laughs> gosh it's only april we can't start like pro- procrastinating on uh, the uh, the award season just yet but i i certainly agree that it's definitely worthy of a wide audience and if you go and see it this weekend take your mates and you'll undoubtedly have an absolute blast i think seeing it on the big screen with a big cinema audience all kind of hooting and hollering at all the lovely stunt scenes and there's an amazing dance number it's, yeah, I just I just think it's such a blast and hopefully... Thumping joyous soundtrack through those speakers, like, yeah. It's exactly, exactly. It's the kind of film, I mean, it sounds very trite, but it is the kind of film that I think really deserves a big screen rollout. So I'm glad that it is getting the kind of... Yeah, the, the red carpet treatment that it, it deserves. Polite Society is out on Friday. You'll be listening to this on Friday. So go and see it and pick up a copy of Little White Lies if you want to dive into that world a little bit more and read Fatima's full review, which is a glowing endorsement, which kind of digs in a little bit deeper. Next up, we're going to be talking about a very different film on many levels, Love According to Dalva. Dalva, 12, lives alone with her father. One evening, the police storm into their home and take her into foster care. As Dalva befriends her new roommate, Samia, and social worker, Jaden, she gradually comes to understand the love she shared with her father was not what she thought. With their help, Dalva learns how to become a child again. So, Adam, this is a, a heavy one. <laughs> We've gone from the kind of the joy and the upbeat action comedy vibes to Emmanuel Nicole's quite harrowing in some respects drama. I assume this was one that you kind of maybe hadn't really heard about. It's certainly for me, it was a bit of a discovery, this one. Yeah, no, I mean, to be honest as well, if we hadn't picked it to watch for this pod, I maybe wouldn't have sought it out because France seems to produce quite a few films like this every year specifically about like child abuse and not to say that they're not they're not worthwhile but you know some of them just kind of passed me by I suppose or aren't always on my radar so it was actually a really really nice surprise to discover this one I think the director Emmanuel Nichols is her first film as as a writer-director um, having previously directed a short and you know I'd say that the the film really hinges on the strength of its central performance of Dalva played by um, Zelda Sampson she is just completely 
incredible in in this film it's like a a, a a really mature performance i think considering the subject matter considering i think she's in every scene of the film you know it's an hour 40 minute film yeah i think she really kind of carries the film because script wise there's there's not a huge amount going on i think it is a fairly kind of like straightforward story in, in a lot of ways you know it opens as, as you kind of said in your um synopsis with the police raiding this house and and there's some confusion as to what's going on and she's kind of screaming that she wants to stay with her father and then obviously you, you kind of gradually learn through these these very kind of stripped back raw you know that it, it, it's it's under the kind of guise of it being a, a safe space that she's she's brought into 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 this care home but it's it's almost shot like an interrogation scene um where, where she's being kind of asked about her father and, and their relationship and you kind of learn gradually you know the, the kind of horrible real extent of what was happening and yeah i think you know i i think the film is is it, it is a tough watch you know there are scenes where so much of it is is kind of communicated through through things like costume you know there's a scene where uh, quite early on she's um getting changed to go out from the kind of young people's home that she's in into the into the town and um she's dressing up you know they're all getting ready and they're like well whatever teenage girls wear tracksuits and you know dresses and she's putting on this like very unage appropriate you know it's, it, it basically makes her look like not only a much older woman but it, it's 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 very kind of like sexually charged outfit which, which again kind of you know that's that's the sort of thing that she's been expected to wear for her father so it's you know there's a lot there's a lot kind of said without without saying a lot in this film i think for me the one area where it maybe fell down a little bit is when it kind of moves slightly away from dalva and actually does bring the father back into the into the picture i think he's a much more ominous presence when he's not on screen and actually it's probably to the filmmaker's credit that she tries to kind of show some empathy towards him i, sp- I suppose there's a very kind of heart-rending scene where you know where they're kind of reunited and and without without kind of wanting to spoil anything i think i think that scene for me not sure whether it was totally necessary in this film i, th- I think the film's more powerful when it's just focusing on kind of dalva's perspective but yeah she's she's great i mean we we, we said previously on you know talking about polite society and, and, and priya and you know hopefully that's the kind of start for bigger things for her and i think the same could be said both for Zelda Sampson in this film and also the director breaking to see what they both do next. Yeah, I thought that Zelda was absolutely fantastic in this film. It's such a difficult role, I think, for anyone to play, but let alone a kind of a, a child to get this level of nuance. And I really enjoyed her performance alongside Fanta Garassi, who plays her best friend that she makes at the care home, Samia, who is this real spitfire character who's very no-nonsense and very kind of like the artful dodger of the care home. She she knows all the all the secrets, but she shows kind of such love to Dalva. Almost immediately, she kind of softens to her and is helping her kind of navigate this quite scary world that she's suddenly been thrust into. Uh, Fatima, how did you get on with this one? I mean, it was quite like, like you guys have said, the central performance, so powerful and like very much the physicality. There's no, she's a child, there's no dramatic monologues there's no like you know there's no huge she doesn't know how to articulate what's happened to her and other people are sort of articulating it for her and it's messing her up every sort of direction it comes at her and it's very much a sort of gradual physical transformation that she has and Adam mentioned like her clothes she's wearing like a sort of lacy number that's very out of her you know out of what you'd expect for a child but also like her makeup she wears very adult makeup she I would say that she's dressed almost like those those child pageant beauty queens you see were it not for the fact that those kids still wear like poofy 
kid dresses, whereas she's very much wearing an adult woman's dress. And the other thing that they that they pick up on is her hair is dyed as well, which is just really like, you know, for, for a kid that young, she says her dad started t- taking her to dye her hair from age nine. And I think that becomes really sinister when you realise that her mother has natural ginger hair. So it's like, that's a really like, I think when she starts fixating on that hair, I was, and then later when they realise that her hair is dyed, I was like, oh my God, that's, oh, the implications of that are are so, so unnerving. And yeah, I think a lot of it is that it's very pared back. The dialogue is very unspoken. There's like a lot of her sort of vaguely absorbing what Samia tells her. And, you know, it, Sammy is really there for her and says stuff like, you know, this isn't your fault. This is what he's told you. You know, like even the little things where she's got this like adult misogyny ingrained in her about the vulgarity of a woman smoking and the way a woman should walk. And it's just these little aspects of what, she's been groomed into sort of come out and it's really I think the way it's so subtle and it's just those little details and there's nothing sort of super painted out it's just those little like little details along the way that just make it really harrowing and I think also I think the insight into care home life as well I think is one that we're always intrigued by you know I grew up watching Tracy Beaker which is a bit of a a much lighter analogy but you know like in European cinema there was System Crasher from a few years ago that was incredible and again when this character starts breaking stuff it sort of reminded me of that like being taken from place to place and My Life as a Courgette as well came to mind as well just like the very wholesome aspects of, of kids in care coming together so I think it there were a lot of elements that I really really did enjoy yeah yeah, I was going to mention Celine Sciamma's girlhood as well, just in terms of the relationship between Dalva and, and, and the other girls in the care home. And also um, the film Happening from last year, just in terms of a, I mean, that's a that's about kind of teenage, that's about like abortion. But yeah, very, very much just in the kind of way it's staged and, and also just with a with, without a kind of ounce of fat on it as, as a, you know, narratively, it's just like does exactly what it needs to do. I think I think definitely feels like a, a filmmaker to me who's been, this, the fact that this is her first film is actually pretty extraordinary. I, I I mean, you know, it, it, it's simple in some ways, but actually to make something that that feels so competent and confident and just knows what it is and, and what it's trying to say is, is yeah, I, I think massive credit to her for that. And I think like the fixed time frame of like, you know, it, it's very much bookended by the arrest of her dad and then the very end is like the trial of her dad, which I don't think is a spoiler. It's just kind of like the whole period of her transformation, her realisation about herself between those two points. And it also reminded me of, I, I'm glad you mentioned happening because I was trying to remember what it was. My brain went to never rarely, sometimes, always as well. Just like the way the camera's very close on her. She's almost every in almost every scene. I think those really intimate portrayals of, of a girl's struggles, I think. Yeah, and certainly the conversations that are very difficult to have as well, getting this kind of almost documentary treatment. I mean, it feels like something that the way it's shot is so stripped back and so tightly focused. You do kind of almost forget sometimes that it is this drama you're watching because it feels very naturalistic. And there was a lovely moment that I really enjoyed where after Dalva kind of gets in trouble for fighting, her social worker slash care home leader picks her up and rather than kind of admonish her for losing her temper he's saying oh why didn't you break her computer next time you've got to break the computer as well then they'll know like and go for it it's such a lovely moment because she you know is obviously sitting in this calf looking very kind of worried and you know like she's got this kind of defiant edge to her but we see the way that he 
is so kind of uh, gentle with her and she kind of unfurls and starts laughing. It's just such a lovely moment. And I think to have those kind of moments of grace afforded to Dalva makes it kind of not a totally punishing watch, though it is dealing with obviously something quite horrific to think about. But yeah, I was very impressed. I think Emmanuel Nico is one of the big discoveries from last year's Cannes. And this premiered in Critics Week alongside After Sun. So a very strong programme. I'm very excited this year to see kind of what the Critics Week sidebar has to offer us we get out there but yeah i'm gonna ask you guys for your scores for this one as well so adam i'm going to come to you first um probably three for anticipation as i said there's fairly unknown director although there was a bit of buzz around it from can and i would say maybe 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 four four actually for enjoyment in retrospect it's, it's not a film which is like where, where the kind of enjoyment factor is high as it were but i think just on the strength of the performance and 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 yeah the, the confidence of the direction it's definitely one um one to recommend and, pro- and probably one i would revisit actually at, at at some point as well. Excellent. And Fatima, how about you? Um, so I started with the two because I think, like Adam said, definitely the cinematic landscape is quite saturated with these slightly depressing plot points. So I think going into it, I was like, okay, like, sure, I'll, I'll see this. And and like Adam said, if we hadn't, like, you know, had to watch it for this, I may not, I may have passed it by. But a four when I was, mm, I think a three when I was watching it and a four on retrospect, I think on retrospect, just really thinking about the elements and how they came together. Just, yeah, I think it's just her acceptance of being a misfit, I think, because I think she enters with this very warped idea that she's been taken out of her beautiful life. And so I think just accepting that she's, damaged and that she needs to recover from something and that she needs to let that out I think is just a huge transformation I think uh, she has she has a fight and then Asamia films it and then all the kids like later on are like re-watching it and going oh yeah you got her there um, after the girl says something completely inappropriate and I just think that I, like that's a probably shouldn't endorse violence but I think in terms of like a, a scene of her becoming one of them and becoming someone recognising that she shouldn't be talked to like that and that, you know, she has her own self-worth, I think is hugely important. So I think like aspects of that that I just remember when you guys were talking about it has made it a four in retrospect. Yeah, I'm definitely with you guys in that regard. Yeah, I think it is a real use of very, I think, material that we've kind of, or a topic certainly that we have seen and that is kind of on a lot of people's minds, I think, especially kind of over the last few years since Me Too, I think people are becoming more cognizant of this and how to depict it on screen. But I was very refreshed by the approach to the subject matter and the kind of, yeah, the strength of this. I think it is such a, a statement of intent from Emmanuel Nicole. And I'm, yeah, very excited to see what she does next. But We're going to shift gears again now for Film Club and talk about a classic of the genre, Monsoon Wedding. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A stressed-out father, a bride-to-be with a secret, a smitten event planner, and relatives from around the world create much ado about the preparations for arranged marriage in India. So this one, yeah, as I said in the intro, this is one that I remember, I think I vaguely remember it coming out. I was quite young, but it was such a big kind of breakout success for Mira Nair and went pretty global. I think it was one of the kind of examples that I remember in my lifetime of a kind of Indian film really achieving big box office success. So Fatima, had you seen this one before or was this a new discovery for you? It was it was a blind spot for me, a particularly hypocritical blind spot because in a very good team that I picked for University Challenge this year, I wrote the questions myself and the sort of top tier level six question, like if you get this, you know about film, was who directed Monsoon Wedding? And maybe it was a bit skewed because the one person who did get it was Indian, but he also has an incredible knowledge of films. So it wasn't just that. But yeah, it was definitely like a huge blind spot for me, especially because I've watched like Miranaire's sort of further from home films. Like I've watched Vanity Fair and I've watched Queen of Catway, both in very different places, different eras. Like, so I think it was going back to her sort of origin story, if you will, which is which is really, really fun for me. Yeah, I, I like that you're a little synopsis that says create much ado because it the more I thought about it the more it is quite a Shakespearean comedy element to it I think it's just the scattered characters you know you mentioned you mentioned like the the wedding planner he's like he has this whole subplot where he's falling in love with the maid and then you have the parents who are running everything and sort of reacting to everything that comes their way money issues scandal just everything sort of like it sort of orbits around them I think they're kind of with a film with this many characters, hard to say who the central characters are, but I think it's just these sort of really concerned parents. And I would argue that they are like sort of the, the main pair, if you will, because they go through a lot. And I think only... I, I've only found Indian directors like Kagurindachada, for example, or maybe Asian British directors as well, to fully like capture the multi-dimensional aspects of Indian parents because they have all of the range. There's like these really emotional scenes where they're just full of love and stress for their kids. There's times where they're really full of judgment and they're so ingrained with how what what job their son should have and how a woman should act and stuff like that that you you can't help shaking your head back and going, you guys are better than this. And there's a, an arc at the end where they basically have to accept that a friend of the family who's given them a lot of money over the years has been abusing a member of their family. So actually, it's it's not too far off from Dalva, I think. It was quite interesting. I was watching that. I was going, actually, like, this is a closer combination than you guys maybe thought on choosing it. And Lalit, the, the dad of, like, having to come to that, like, financial problems be damned. I cannot let this man be part of the wedding party any longer. I have to show my solidarity with my with my niece is a huge arc, 
I think, because, you know, like he obviously shows us, he, he believes her, he shows his sympathy, but it's in that step of breaking that link because it's so, it's a huge deal to sever ties with someone in Indian society. And so for him to make that step is an incredibly powerful moment in the film, which is, I think, why he's sort of the, the main character am- amongst it all. But then you have the actual people's wedding as well. It's sort of an arranged marriage rom-com, if you will. And I would say a better arranged marriage rom-com than What's Love Got to Do With It, which doesn't have the arranged marriage end happily. So I wouldn't call it arranged marriage rom-com. But again, the sort of hero and Claudio much ado aspect of a man coming to terms with the fact that his wife may have been unfaithful and accepting it and not judging her for it, I think is is why it reminded me of, of Shakespeare. But just, yeah, just like the, the chaos, the sprawling chaos of Indian families, it works incredibly well. The dialogue is all overlapping. They switch between Hindi and English, which is something that if you speak both, or I speak Gujarati and English, like it's so so easy to switch between the two. Like it's, it, I love that it's clearly written by people who know exactly when to use which language. And yeah, oh my God, in- incredible. Absolutely incredible film. I, I really loved it. Yeah, I loved hearing you talk about it just now. I feel like it's so nice to understand the nuances of it more and understand how well the film actually gets this mixing of Indian American and Indian families. Because I think that culture clash that we see within the film is it's a classic trope in in any romantic comedy. But I really enjoyed the differences between the kind of families coming together in Delhi for this massive wedding and hearing the way they kind of talk about America as this kind of very um, almost seems like a glamorous kind of prospect in many ways to them and yeah I I loved hearing your kind of insights just then and Adam I what did you make of this one had you seen one scene wedding before well I'm not sure I can add too much after (laughs) hearing that ringing endorsement from Fatima then but it wasn't it was a new one for me which I was surprised by I I kind of thought it was one of those films I would have seen at some point it feels like a film that's maybe not I know it was a kind of bit of a breakout hit for Miranair at the time but it feels like a film which hasn't really you know certainly not one that I, I think is um, widely available on streaming or, or something that's repeated a lot on television so and it's you know it, it won the golden lion in, in uh, what was it 2001 right um, at Venice and I think Miranair is the only the second Indian filmmaker after Satyajit Ray to win that so and actually I think there's some comparisons between this and Ray's films as well certainly the dynamic as you're saying Fatima between like Indian families and even just if you look at something like Charulata the the plot point of a husband kind of forgiving his adulterous wife I think is is yeah is is something which is kind of very modern in its kind of ideas about that but yeah just just again like a really really fun film definitely recommend it and and a good link with the kind of arranged marriage subplot as well to uh, to polite society I think that Mira Nair is now obviously a very well-respected director but I feel like Mississippi Masala and Salam Bombay are maybe the two certainly Mississippi Masala I think it had a Criterion re-release fairly recently and that's the one that people tend to go to but we can all heartily endorse Monsoon Wedding as another classic rom-com you, you really watch it and you think they don't make them like they used to like just casting actors you have chemistry for a start you know it's, it's really nice to see that and layered so layered but like in a way that balances everyone just amazing and like even like the little subplot like of like just really charming tiny subplots like the cousins practicing a dance routine before like an event closer to the wedding and stuff like that it's just 
yeah, just like just like so many different layers upon each other in a way that's very natural to a sprawling, huge Indian family, but done with such love and such care and delicacy. Yeah, and certainly to fit all that in two hours, I, I started watching it and I was thinking, gosh, there's just such a lot to get in. I feel like we were much more economical in the uh, the, <laughs> the early noughties now. You go, now you watch a two and a half Marvel movie and you're like, oh, they've done is defeat some bad guy. They're getting married. They're sorting some family drama out. There's lots going on. It's great. <laughs> So uh, we can all heartily recommend that you check out Monsoon Wedding if you haven't already. Although it is, yeah, it's strangely hard to track down. The view of India, I think, in it is is great because it's both romanticised and not. I think it's it's like it's it comes from a place of understanding where like you obviously have these colourful wedding scenes, but you also have these very dingy streets, very rundown chai places. Like it's a very accurate portrait of India. I think that maybe when they talk about the sort of dreaminess of America, with like it. it doesn't have the same charm I think as as something like the landscape that's in this film yeah yeah it's a very good point to raise I think that it also kind of to me highlights the importance of getting someone like Mira Nair who knows those two worlds very well you know she is an Indian American filmmaker to kind of talk about the kind of juxtaposition I guess you feel as as a child of two countries you know have the ability to see them both with kind of clarity and understand the imperfections and the beauty uh, and hold those two things at the same time. Please check out Monsoon Wedding and Polite Society and Love According to Dalva. We're going to do our one last thing now, our regular non-movies recommendation, Gasp. Adam, what have you got to endorse for us this week that isn't cinema? Well, I, I just got tickets to see Herbie Hancock, legendary jazz pianist, at the Barbican in July. I think there's still tickets available still. And he's like in his early 80s now. So, you know, there's not maybe going to be too many chances to see him live again. So, yeah, definitely get to that if you can. That's that's kind of my, yeah, that, that's the first thing I thought of. That's a great one. Yeah. Wow. Herbie Hancock. Wow. So I didn't, I, I, gonna check that out certainly <laughs> uh, and Fatima what would you like to recommend so I technically have two I'll try and rush through them really quickly <laughs> because it's been Ramadan and my brain sort of switches off and I haven't watched a lot of movies haven't been able to finish a lot of books so my attention span has gotten much shorter so I've turned to podcasts and television of late so another podcast which I guess is a non-movie thing but you know don't yeah, cheat counts. on truth and movies just go <laughs> listen to this and then go listen to that but um, there's a great book podcast called Marlon and Jake read dead people and it's Marlon James the Booker Prize winning author of Brief History of Seven Killings and he's done like a fantasy trilogy recently and his editor and it's just such a really fun opinionated view on classic literature I think we uphold the canon quite highly and I what I appreciated about joining quiz is hearing people say oh yeah no that don't read that that one's not worth the hype and just hearing it from the perspective of an editor and an author who like writes books just saying stuff like you don't have to read any book except maybe Moby Dick but otherwise you don't have to read anything and just like really strong hot takes I think is wonderful and not a full endorsement because I'm still getting through it but the TV that has broken through because I started Yellow Jackets and started Succession and I haven't quite vibed with either of them yet but the one that I have been captivated by after some slightly too vulgar first episodes for me personally but a Perry Mason with Ah. Matthew Reese as Perry Mason very very dark but very charismatic and uh, beautifully shot. I wouldn't have expected a Perry Mason remake to be dark. Wow, that's like... It's super <laughs> dark, like themes of like PTSD, suicide, gruesome murder. Wow. Um, like it's really, really dark, but it's 
incredible. Like, you know, the, the team is what basically like an aged lawyer who's struggling to find finances. Then you have Perry, who's like at the beginning of the show, like a sort of CD private investigator. Hence why the first like episodes are quite vulgar, I think, because he's like tailing a guy who's like interesting sexual exploits, shall we say. <laughs> But um, like just, yeah, just straight in there, like no preparing you for it. It's just like really gruesome. But yeah. And then like the secretary, who's uh, like a closeted lesbian woman who's just very angry at the state and a black police officer who gets entangled in like a conspiracy and he has a pregnant wife. So on one hand, he's being told by the, you know, cops higher up to like stay hushed about things. And on the other side, he has a sense of right where he's like, how do I manage this? How do I get an outcome where they don't kill me, basically, or don't, you know, put me in a worse position while still doing the right thing. Like, it's it's incredible. Gosh, I've heard such great things about Perry Mason from, in fact, friend of the podcast, Emma Fraser is a big fan, I believe. And Matthew Reese, I love. I, I think he's such a great actor. So I'm glad he's got another like meaty role after the Americans, which he's also very good in. So that sounds great. I'm very, I'm in my TV era, as I've been telling everyone, all I do now is watch TV. I, a friendship with movies over. Now I'm, TV is my friend. So I, I've been enjoying the Amazon freebie series, Jury Duty, which is like a 25 minute, mockumentary about a trial basically a um, civil trial in Huntington uh, Los Angeles County California and it is everyone there is an actor apart from one guy who doesn't know that it's a mockumentary he thinks it's a genuine trial that has been shot for a documentary about the legal system and one non-actor his name is Ronald he's lovely I want to protect him he's the sweetest man and all these crazy things are happening throughout the trial and it feels like they're pushing him as far as they can go very much like Nathan Field does the rehearsal in some ways but much more wholesome very sweet and you kind of yeah this guy comes off so well James Marsden is also in it playing himself or a fictionalized version of himself he is hilarious just I, I love James Marsden anyway I've had such a soft spot for him back in the days of X-Men I think it stems from being a child when X-Men came out but yeah he's great in it really good and it's available to watch for free on Amazon's only about 11 episodes we can do it all in a weekend so those are some recommendations for you to check out as well as the films we mentioned today and I just want to give a quick shout out as well to the Queer East Film Festival which is running until Sunday they're celebrating queer cinema from East and Southeast Asia they do some great work as well they have I think eight venues across London so they've got some great stuff on definitely worth checking out if you have time and I think they're going to be going on a kind of national tour afterwards as well uh, if you have anything you would like to tell us about the films that we've been reviewing today or you would like us to check out, then you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, more from Phase 5 of the MCU with Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Plus, we'll be reviewing Return to Soul and Film Club Takes a Look at Son of Rambo. Thanks very much for tuning in. Big thanks to my guests this week. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Hannah Strong, and my guests this week were Fatima Sharif and Adam Woodward. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankers. 